my mom and dad gave us very strict warnings that we weren't allowed to talk about it. And they said that they had to warn us that because that's what the attorneys told them. From America Media, I'm Maggie Van Dorn, and this is Deliver Us, a podcast about the sex abuse crisis in the Catholic Church and where we go from here. This is the second in our series of four survivor narratives. Like the first, it is really explicit and hard to listen to. So if you haven't already listened to episode five, please go back and do that. The Reverend Serene Jones gives some really helpful guidance on how to listen well. There are several known cases of priests who abused more than one child in the same family. One such family was the Fortneys. Five of the eight Fortney girls were abused by the same priest. I talked with the four sisters who are speaking publicly about it. Patty, Laura, Teresa, and Carolyn. Well, there's nine of us. There's seven sisters and a brother. This is Laura. And we kind of like have families within a family. It's three younger, you know, siblings, then three middle. I'm the youngest of the middle. Just ahead of Laura is Patty. It's Patty Fortney Julius. I'm fourth to the oldest. Patty and Laura were the two older sisters in the middle of the family. And behind them came Teresa and Carolyn. Teresa Fortney Miller. I am third to the youngest. It's Carolyn Fortney. I'm the baby, so I'm number nine. As you may have gathered, the Fortneys are a large Catholic family. The ordering can be hard to keep track of. But I can tell you, as someone who also grew up with a large extended family, birth order matters. And in this case, it's especially important to understanding how these sisters were all abused. So just to recap, the birth order of these sisters from oldest to youngest is Patty, Laura, Teresa, and Carolyn. And their upbringing was thoroughly Catholic. I mean, everything was Catholic for us. You know, they would always teach us all these little songs like oranges, oranges, who says, you know, and we'd like skip and then we'd do peanut, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and we'd always do the monkey walk, you know. So walking to church was always fun. When I was the Fortney sisters have a lot of fun, goofy stories like this from their childhood. But their childhood changed when a new priest, Father Jella, or F. Jella, as they would later call him, joined the parish. Laura was the first to meet him. While I was in class, the new pastor of our church came in to the class looking for volunteers to help with jobs around the rectory, unpacking and those things. And I quickly raised my hand. And it wasn't long before F. Jella met all of the sisters. The youngest, Carolyn, was just a toddler at the time. When I was a little bit under two years old is the day I met him. I was naked in a baby pool with my niece. And the first day he came over the house, I ran right to him and he picked me up. And that's kind of when it started from there. Teresa was a few years older than Carolyn. Yeah, I was about six, seven years old. Afjala began abusing the older two sisters, Laura and Patty. But it wasn't strange to them. 
because he groomed them to think it was normal. I do remember even early on just how he would hug you. It would start with, you know, maybe snapping your bra strap and joking about that. But in his way, it was like he was checking to make sure that it fit, you know. And then um, when he would hug you, he'd put his hands more closer to your buttocks and pull you into his private areas. And I do remember feeling uncomfortable, but I never questioned it. And I was very embarrassed as a little girl. He sensed that with me. And a word he used with me a lot was squeamish. He'd be like, oh, you're squeamish, which made me feel bad that I was squeamish. Therefore, I didn't say anything to anybody about it. And then eventually I saw that he would do it with my sister, Patty, you know, hug her the same way. I never thought what he was doing was dirty. I always believed that he was in a revered position in my life, like almost like, you know, a doctor, because it, it just kept escalating, you know, what he would do. But let me just say, everything he did was in front of my sisters. He used me to groom them. And I thought, well, I guess that's okay. That's my older sister. And and then it started to become like a kiss on the mouth, where then it would be a wet kiss. And then he'd try to stick his tongue in your mouth. He also had sex position books. Back then, he would say that they were, you know, sexual education books. He would literally, I mean, teach me about the penis and how it would erect and about breasts. And he would talk to me about my cup size and... He would always hug and kiss and try to, you know, put his tongue in your mouth. F. Jella used the same kind of abuse, disguised as human development education, with Teresa as well. He would tell you, you know, I just wanted to see, you know, how you're growing, things like that. If you're growing into a woman yet, he would check to see if I was getting pubic hair was his main concern. I really believed that he was doing this for the right reasons and that he cared about me. Also, he was really sort of generous and gave you gifts and took you places, right? Yeah. More so for my younger sisters. For me, it was after counting the collection. He would take money, you know, either out of the collection or his billfold and give us, you know, some money. It might have been a couple bucks, but to us, it was like a million, you know, when you're in a family of a lot of kids. And then we always had this... F. Jella won the trust of the older girls with this special treatment. And then, through Patty and Laura, he created an environment where abuse was normal. This is what Carolyn was raised with since she was a baby. I took probably a bath at his rectory every time I was there, I think. I would always sit in the front seat, even as the toddler, and he would always have his hand in my pants. Every time I slept at his house or at the beach or I took a nap, he would always fondle me before he kissed me goodnight. When Carolyn got to be around 12, things started to change. Laura, then an older teenager, remembers exactly when this happened. We went to visit for the weekend, and I remember falling asleep in his living room on the floor, and when I woke up, she had locked herself in the bedroom. And we started to notice Carolyn was just starting to become mean to him. And 
So when she locked herself in the bedroom, I actually lashed out on her. I said, you are being so disrespectful of him. How could you do that? And made her feel, I'm sure, horrible. Patty was also angry at Carolyn. I remember being mad at her. I remember being very angry at her for being rude to him, you know, on the phone and different things. And she was 12 years old, you know. I know what I was thinking, you know, she's preteen, acting like a spoiled brat. I mean, here Carolyn has even her sisters being angry at her for being upset with the priest, right? And here this priest is raping her, and we don't even know it. The day that, you know, it was confirmed that Carolyn was sexually abused, it changed everything. My niece had seen or found a box of pictures of me. In the deposition, it says, in sexually explicit positions. Um, the police were involved, and they raided his home. They took van loads of stuff out of his home. And there was an actual sex tape that he made of him and Carolyn. She said that the counselor told my mom that she did not think it was a good idea for my mom and dad to, you know, view the evidence. And um, she said that that grown men had to get up and walk out of the room. Oh, God. Yeah. So when my mom found out, she talked to my sister Patty and said, and it was two weeks before Patty was getting married, and she said, this is what was found. I need you to go and talk to Carolyn. And so my sister, Patty, picked me up in a truck and she pulled over on the side of the road and she didn't ask. She just said, Carolyn, we know. You know, we know what has been happening and you don't ever have to, you know, go with him again or anything. And she just started bawling, crying. And I just started breaking down, crying. We went back to where my mom was working. She was babysitting and then took me back to our our home we went in I ran upstairs my dad was sitting there at at the table and I was crying and he just held me and said I believe you and it's not gonna ever happen again that would be the last time Fjella came anywhere near the Fortney sisters but the effects of his abuse ricocheted within the family for years to come Jeannie had a nervous breakdown. Jeannie was like my mom, my second mom. Jeannie is one of Carolyn's older sisters. In a big family, the older siblings typically take care of the younger siblings if they're in the house. So Carolyn was my baby. That was the first time where I had the opportunity to fully take care of one of the younger siblings. So when I found out about this, it was devastating to me. And as Patty tells it, her parents were equally devastated. My mom has said several times over and over that um, they robbed her of everything, everything, you know. And my mom is a very depressed person. She's never recovered. My dad has said that it destroyed him. He gave his whole life to protect us and realized that the one thing that he thought would make us holy that he pushed us to was the thing that destroyed us. It wasn't till probably 
maybe a year to a year and a half later where through therapy and through observations from my parents seeing Teresa decline in school and and things that they pretty much found out that she was abused too. My grades were failing. And then at that point, my mom was like, I need you to go see Carolyn's therapist. I want you to go talk to her and see if everything's, you know, okay. You know, just talk to her and open up to her a little bit. My parents would have never have even thought about an attorney. My parents went to the, my mom went straight to the bishop, straight to the um, diocese. And they did not do anything. They said they did, but they didn't. And the grand jury memos proved that they did nothing. My sister Sandra was a paralegal at the time. She said, no, you know, you guys have to do something. So the Fortneys sought legal assistance, but their counselor advised them against filing criminal charges. She said that because of her age, it would be too hard on Carolyn to deal with all the public attention on top of her trauma. Also, the Fortneys didn't want to be that family. They had no idea that abuse was happening in other parishes and in other families. I remember specifically sitting in the family meeting with the lawyer. And I remember thinking, wait, are they our lawyers or the church's lawyers? Because of the way they were talking to my parents with trying to get them to settle. And... Not one person ever even asked, could maybe your other daughters have been abused? That it seems odd to me. Not even the therapist that we all started to go to, the psychologist that they connected us with. A private settlement was made for Carolyn in the early 90s. But with it came a confidentiality agreement, or a gag order, that prevented the Fortneys from speaking publicly about the case. From Patty's perspective... The settlement didn't help. The settlement, it did nothing but negative, actually, for our family. My mom and dad gave us very strict warnings that we weren't allowed to talk about it. And they said that they had to warn us that because that's what the attorneys told them, that, you know, you got to warn your kids. Nobody's allowed to talk about this. And if to they talk, talk about, about it, it to other people? Anybody, nobody. Even Nobody. within your own family. No. Well, we didn't. Isn't that funny? We did not talk within our own family. And I think we were just all so afraid because they said that if it got out, that they would find out. And, you know, we believe they were everywhere, you know, literally like everywhere. They told my parents that they would have to pay back all of um, the settlement, Carolyn's annuity, that they would lose everything. Silence choked the family for well over a decade and even prevented Patty and Laura from talking about their own abuse. There was always an elephant in the room because of our gag order for years. And for me, it was always Carolyn, you know, always in my mind, you know, just protecting what I would say around her, how I would, you know, be with her. The silence persisted until Carolyn couldn't take it anymore. It was a Sunday night and the Oscars were on and I don't watch I don't watch a lot of TV let alone watch a lot of you know award, award shows. shows yeah exactly yeah. that's exactly the word I was looking for I don't really watch a lot of those but my son went to bed early that night and I poured myself a glass of wine and the Oscars were on and so I turned it on and as I'm sitting there watching 
the movie of the year award came up and uh that year was spotlight the boston priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years the church found out about it and did nothing we haven't committed any and i looked at my husband and i went oh my gosh that's exactly what they did to our family i also in my mind i thought i bet carolyn what if she's watching this I wanted to find out, you know, why did it happen? And, you know, I mean, even though I went through it, it still is so shocking that it actually happens. Carolyn reached out to us and said, enough is enough. I'm tired of this situation. It's an elephant in the room, and I'm tired of us being gagged. You know, this is wrong. She found the story of a representative, Mark Rossi, in the area, who she reached out to, and he asked if he could see us. And so that's what started the ball rolling. Mark Rossi, the state representative who helped plug Carolyn into the grand jury report, was himself a victim of clergy sexual abuse. And he's been fighting hard to change the statute of limitation laws in Pennsylvania. And as the family got more involved, the sisters started to realize it wasn't just Carolyn who had suffered abuse. Patty and I had been talking, you know, just behind Carolyn's back out of concern, and but Patty was starting to remember things. And she said, Laura, do you remember when he would do this? You know, she'd talk about, you know, being in the bathroom with you or whatever. And I would be like, well, no, but I do now. Patty and I discounted our abuse because of ours was a lot of heavy grooming, you know, and we were sexually abused, but we discount it because theirs was more severe in our eyes. For Carolyn, this makes total sense. I understand why a lot of people don't say anything for a long time. I mean, we've had we've had a lot of people message us since the grand jury, and many of them that have uncles and parents and cousins who have abused them, and they'll never say anything because they don't want to hurt their family's feelings. So they just take it to the grave. They live with it. The four Fortney sisters have all been involved in the grand jury report. For Carolyn, Laura, and Patty, the chance to testify openly has been therapeutic. But for Teresa, it's still really hard to talk about. I know for my sisters, it's been very healing for them to talk about it. Um, But I'm not the vocal one of the family. I mean, I am, you know, with my friends and stuff like that. But as far as feelings and things like that, it's very hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been detrimental to my marriage. It's I'm separated right now. So um, it's been very hard on my kids. And yeah, I've kind of, I have gone back to therapy, which is a good thing, but it's just, I don't really have any good days. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. The night before we sat down for this interview, the Fortney sisters had gone to a listening session in their diocese. Many dioceses across the U.S. are holding listening sessions to do something the church has failed to do in the past. Listen. 
church leadership is opening its doors to listen to survivors and to what ordinary Catholics are feeling. It had been a long time since any of the Fortney sisters had set foot in a Catholic church, and they were nervous about how other Catholics would respond. I have to say that when I walked in, I did not know what to expect. Patty was worried whether other Catholics would believe them, whether they would support them or call them church bashers. But to her amazement, Catholic parishioners were 100% behind them. Last night at the listening session, we encountered Catholics all over that building that loved us and were praying for us and cared and had tears and were genuine and were supportive of us. We were shocked. We didn't know those people. We knew there were a couple. Laura echoed Patty's surprise. It was healing for me and my family in itself to just know that they are standing up. And then she left me with one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. Question your leadership. That's a biblical thing. It's okay to question your leadership. It's in Timothy. I mean, don't let anyone make you feel bad for doing that. You know, you are the church, not the hierarchy. Don't allow the hierarchy to be the church because they're not. You are the church. This reminds me of a prayer that's attributed to St. Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Deliver Us is produced by America Media in collaboration with Spoke Studios. I'm Maggie Van Dorn, your host and an executive producer with Eric Sandra. Our producers are Sarah Esikoff, Rebecca Seidel, and Eloise Blondio, with assistance in concept and story development from Sam Sawyer and Carrie Weber. Promotion and outreach from Amber Smith. Production help from Kieran Freeman. Our sound design is by Rebecca Seidel. Our theme music was composed and produced by Chris McCormick. This episode was written and produced by Rebecca Seidel, Amber Smith, and Sarah Esikoff. If you've been sexually assaulted, you can get confidential support 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. The number for the hotline is 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. You can also visit www.rain.org. That's www.rain.org. If you are reporting sexual abuse from Catholic clergy or looking for support from the church, 
you can also contact your diocese victim assistance coordinator. Contact information for each diocese is available at usccb.org forward slash VAC.